All right, this morning is going to be a little different. Uh, it's not going to be a normal teaching. We're actually going to give a little bit of an update on um, some missions stuff. We, the elders um, and I have t- talked about that, you know, we've had a lot of new people come, and it's been a while since we've given an update on kind of what uh, we support in, in missions. And there's uh, a particular ministry that we want to just let you know about um, that I'll talk about shortly. But also, often we are sending people out from within our church body, and we've done that many times uh, over the years. And uh, we also want to give opportunities for you to be updated on that. So one of those is my son, Wesley Cannon, as you know, went to Ecuador. Uh, I won't say anything more about it because I'll just let him uh, update you on what that's about and kind of what took place. But I do, as his father, want to thank each and every one of you who prayed uh, and who also supported him uh, financially. That was so meaningful uh, to him and, and to Pam and me to have that kind of support. And it allowed him and his team to accomplish what they felt like God was leading them to accomplish. There's a lot more work to do. I'll let him talk about that. But he's going he's gonna to give just a brief update, and then I'm going to get back up, and I'm going to talk uh, a little about uh, another uh, mission that we've been supporting for quite a while now and just bring you up to speed on that. So just relax, enjoy, and uh, Wesley, if you want to come on up, I forgot to grab the mic. If you want to actually, I can... Well, grab it from James there. And Wesley, you like me, you like to pace, but you got to stay right here so so Mom can see you on the. <laughs> I am like him. <laughs> hey guys, um, thanks for having me back up here for a little bit. Um, I'm going to flip to my super legit notebook here, where I wrote down a couple sentences. So. Uh, like my dad said, I wanted to say thank you first off just for being the church body that sent me um, and that I get to be a part of in my family, and I'm super thankful. And uh, definitely the most valuable thing was the prayer that you guys supported me with. That was like, honestly, I, I mean, I know the power of prayer, but then you get there and you realize how much you need prayer as a backing and how important that is as like just a shield uh, for everything that you're doing. And then... Um, also, I wouldn't have been able to do it without your financial blessings as a church and then as individuals, um, as the church body, you guys were able to uh, send me there and I wouldn't have been able to do it otherwise. And I'm so glad you did. Um, I didn't 100% know what was in store. So, okay, well, let me back up for a second. So I'm Wesley um, <laughs> and I was going to Ecuador for about 12 days to do a um, me and three um, other guys were going to film a mini documentary with a, um, a ministry there called Dunamis Foundation. So they are based right outside of Quito, Ecuador, which is the capital city. Um, and they basically are dedicated to pulling girls out of the sex trafficking industry and um, housing them legally until they're 18. And then they have to return them back to either their families or if there's a governmental halfway house which um, sadly in Ecuador isn't the best system, but um, they are able to house the girls that are under 18 until that age, and then they send them back out. So their goal is to prepare them the best they can um, to honestly teach them how to be a child again, um, teach them what it's like to live 
in a normal world um, and try to prepare them to go back out. So it's a tough job, especially when like their first goal is to teach them how to be a child again like that. It's then tough to, to teach them how to live life properly and how to send them back out because they've finally learned how to um, have fun, how to smile, how to um, just do things that normal little girls do. Um, so yeah, I, I come very much wishing I could share like a, a happy story uh, to encourage the church and stuff. I, I more can rejoice because I'm standing alongside of you guys and I'm able to do something about it. And I'm able to bring you guys in to do something about it as well. Because there's not a happy story I can bring back. And um, I was talking to my dad yesterday about potential things I could talk to you guys about. And I was kind of trying to, we were like, maybe there's some things that are like a little bit more redemptive that we could share and stuff. And then we kind of backed up and we're like, no, like this is the point, is that I can bring you guys in to rejoice in the fact that we're able to fight against this together. Um, and uh, I have four sisters, two younger, two older, um, and the margin age was younger than my, old, my younger sisters. Um, of the girls, there were about 17 at the program while I was there. The age range was um, eight to 16. So, um, Basically, I wanted to start by saying the biggest problem that I've realized that Dunamis as a ministry is facing is that 14 out of 15 of the girls that they return, actually it's not just them, it's any of the governmental institutions as well, that return the girls after they're 18 back into the world, go straight back into the sex industry in some way. 14 out of 15. So the problem is that they need a a way to bring the girls after they're 18 to continue on that training because they legally are not allowed to do it and if they were caught and had kids over 18 the industry would be shut uh, the organization would be shut down immediately immediately all the girls would leave so they have to be so careful with the girls that they do keep making sure that their ages are accurate and that they're sending them right back out after that um, that 18th birthday happens basically um, and uh, I'll be honest, the governmental institutions that are halfway homes there for the girls that are over 18, they're only there for the Ecuadorian government to be able to tell other countries that we have this. And it's not very helpful at all. Um, so, Dunamis as a ministry is doing the best they can. Their number one priority right now is raising enough funds to build a halfway home to help the girls continue in their walk with Jesus. Um, first and foremost, and then also to teach them how to, uh, to work and how to be self-sustaining because the only job they know how to, how to carry is how to sell themselves. Like that's the best thing they can do and they don't know how to do anything else. That's just, that's what they know, that's their life, that's them as a child, that's them as an adult. So it's um, most of them that are even pulled out of the sex trafficking industry go right back into prostitution, which is legal in Ecuador because that's one of the best ways they can make money. And their parents, who we talked to multiple times, went out. We went on investigations, talked to people's parents, the girls who we had in the industry and in the organization. We talked to them, and they were like, well, that's a better life for them. It's, a less, it's one less mouth for us to feed. It's one, it's one better life for, the, for our daughter, for them to be able to go out and make money however they want to do it. Um, and it's heartbreaking. And so Dunamis is doing the best they can at the moment to build a halfway home. 
Um, so we went and we filmed this documentary, which has basically three branches, uh, one of which is to raise awareness for that problem, one of which is to tell what Dunamis is able to do now, and one of which is uh, just to raise awareness for the sex trafficking industry around the world as a whole. So we've wrapped shooting. Uh, we have like a terabyte of footage, which for those of you who don't know, is a lot of footage that we're gonna start going through. We basically have a six month um, gap that we're attempting to, uh, to edit this project. And we have a couple premieres in June that we are super, super stoked uh, to be able to, to bring. And basically all of the money that we raise through the documentary is going straight towards the halfway home, which is called the Eden Project. So the documentary is not necessarily based on that particular thing, but I wanted to tell you guys personally like what our goal, what the four guys who did this, our goal is to raise money to do, to do that, to build that home. So um, I want to tell a story that of one of the girls. Um, we're going to call her Mary. They asked us not to disclose any um, names. We're not allowed to show any faces in the documentary either. So we did strange things to get around that, um, silhouettes and stuff like that. But... Um, so we're going to call her Mary, and the story of Mary helped me realize the reality of the need. And at first I was planning on doing a super generalized version of this, but then again I decided like this is, this is real and I want you guys to be in it with me and to um, have the heart and the vision that I felt. So um, when we got there, Mary had left the program, Dunamis had turned 18 and had been returned to her family. Um, a, a few weeks, I think it was three weeks before we got there. Um, so two of the guys that I was with had actually lived in Dunamis for about three months. They knew her while she was in the program, while she was 17. She was in the program for about a year. They pulled her out of the sex trafficking industry at 17. Um, she had been trafficked away from her family. A lot of the time the um, the family or the parents are actually the persecutors, the people who are selling them, putting them into that industry to get money. But they were not in this case. She was kidnapped and taken. Um, and so she was going through the program. Incredible transformation. Like, when I tell you she came into the program first, numb to the world, like I mean that in the realest way, had no idea how to interact with anybody, was, you could just see it in her eyes. She was dead to the world, could care less about anything. And that's not her fault. Like, she's, she's a 17-year-old girl who hasn't experienced what it's like to be a 17-year-old girl. So, um, and these girls I have to say as well, like, uh, five of them in the program have kids. Um, I was playing with one of the little kids for so long. She's adorable, and her mom looks like she's probably 32. She's uh, just turned 16. So, um, Mary was, did not have a child, so she was able to go through the program um, and like found Jesus and her life was turned around within a year. Like she, by the end of that year, she was running around playing soccer with the girls, laughing, wanting to meet all of the, the young adults that were there. Like literally just stunning. I wish I could show you guys some kind of visual. That's going to be about six months. Um, but it was uh, incredible and life-changing for the people that witnessed it as well. And um, her 18th birthday came and she... Uh, was returned back to her family. So Dunamis doesn't have uh, resources to really prepare the parents yet, and that's something they're working on as well. Um, and those of you who have like 
gone and done something like a crazy gap year, gone off to college or whatever, and then come back, you, you know that it's like, it's a transition just to be back home again. Just as simple as that in our first world American easy life. So for these girls, it's like times a million. Not only are they being pulled out of sex trafficking, they're then going into this beautiful uh, dunamis ministry that is like just giving them life and, and consistent meals, to say the least, and um, a community and uh, psychologists and counselors and people that step alongside them and teach them about Jesus, and it's a beautiful thing. And they, um, they're then returned straight back to their family without like really anything else that they're able to do legally. So, um, so Mary went back to her family and um, basically two weeks later, while we were there, um, we planned a investigation to go figure out more of Mary's backstory um, and to talk to her parents and get an update on how she was doing. We had an interview set up with Mary, so we were gonna be meeting with her with, uh, for a few hours. So we drove to Latacunga, which is um, about eight hours away from Dunamis in the Andes Mountains, super beautiful area. Um, and we, we basically the night before we got there, we were staying in a hostel preparing to go to her house the next morning. And we get a call from um, a number that we, it was, it was Mary's number. And one of the psychologists answered and it was a different lady on the phone. And she was basically like, what are you doing? Why are you contacting this number? Who are you? Stop, stop contacting, blah, 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 threatening. So we tried to hear out, tried to talk since. It wasn't Mary, it was some lady. They basically traced it back and are thinking that the lady that contacted us um, was involved in the trafficking in the first place. So we were like, why does she have Mary's phone? Um, and we weren't able to contact her parents. Her parents don't have phones or anything. So basically the next morning we went to um, Mary's house and Mary wasn't there. Um, her parents were and we interviewed her mom for a while. I say interviewed, we were there videoing while she was able to talk to the ministry um, host and the psychologist there. And um, my limited Spanish had no idea what she was talking about, but she ended up uh, breaking down crying and I knew something was serious and um, we got the story later. So basically Mary had met um, a young man about the week before and um, decided to go with him on a date um, and upon, basically went on this ice cream date and then disappeared for a week. At the end of the week, they, they were looking for, had no idea where she was, and also not enough money to um, file a missing persons report, which is a good bit of money in Ecuador. And um, if they're over 18, the cops tend to not care because prostitution is legal. So it's like, they're probably doing that. Um, so they were doing the best they could as a family while the dad continued to work his normal shift every day in construction, which paid for the family to, to eat. Um, and it was the night before we got there, when we got the call from that lady, um, she, Mary had called her brother and basically given a location and said, come get me right now. Like, you need to come pick me up. Brother hopped on a bike, a uh, motorcycle, drove about six hours to pick up um, Mary and got there as fast as he could was in sight of Mary like a couple blocks away who was standing with um, that phone which was not her phone it was a random phone standing with that phone um, completely different outfit ragged outfit no shoes um, standing in the mountains waiting to be picked up 
and her brother was driving to her when a van pulled around, six guys came out, drug her in the car, and drove off. Um, so, so Mary's brother basically gunned it, <laughs> chased after these guys, chased them to a nearby house. Um, her brother wasn't able, there's nothing her brother can do about this. He just wanted to figure out where they were going. Um, they pull her out of the car, put her in a house. Um, her brother was trying to kind of go up to them, but they were all threatening him, had weapons. And um, so he called the cops as soon as he could, waiting outside the house, told them the location. The cops showed up, went into the house, and they were gone. So Dunamis um, obviously gave the family the money to file the missing persons report. That was filed right after we finished talking to them. Um, and they're, the police, as much as they're able to, Dunamis as much as they're able to, the family as much as they're able to, are doing everything to, they can to look for Mary, like as we speak. I haven't gotten an update on it yet. Um, that's one of probably a dozen stories. That's one of the most normal stories that they get. The girl probably knew a little bit of what she, Mary probably knew a little bit of what she was doing when she went back to talk um, to this guy, go on a date with this guy. She probably thought it was more just like a, of a prostitution kind of gig. Her family didn't have the best relationship with her. They were putting on pressure, putting pressure on her for the fact that they couldn't really afford to feed her. Um, and she needed to figure out how to have a life for herself considering she was 18 and outside of the program now. That's one of 14 out of 15 girls that go back into the industry. It's not a surprise. And so like that's, that's what we're able to do. Again, I don't have like a fulfilling story I'm able to share back with the church, but I have the reality and the fact that we're able to do something about it. And how thankful I am for the fact that you guys sent me to be able to go capture all this. This is all on footage. I have the full conversations. I have her house fully recorded, her siblings, the story, all of that is ready to be turned into a documentary, um, and we have it set up to be able to show, like I mentioned earlier, with um, Free Chapel is a big church in Georgia that you know offered to show show our documentary, and um, and we're I'm so excited to show it here when we get it finished, and and wherever we're able to bring it um, to raise money for this home, um, and yeah, so that's that's one of. One of, my, one of my updates with that, and I, I come to the conclusion that the biggest need for Dunamis, yes, finances, and I, I have full 100% confidence that that's going to come. Um, but like, I, I urge you to pray. I urge you to pray, because that's what they're asking for there. They're not even really asking for funds. They're asking for constant prayer for these girls and for the vision that they have, um, which is which is connecting the church. And I want to share about that. Uh, I was able to talk to um, my family and Raya a little bit about that yesterday and my vision for that, which connecting the church is something that we lack like heavily in this world right now. Um, I, with you guys, had no, I mean, maybe some of you, I definitely didn't, had no idea what was going on in Ecuador before I went and am able to bring that back here. Um, we were talking while we were there. We have no idea what's going on in the underground church in China. Um, we have no idea what's going on in the, the small Christian communities in Mongolia. Like, we, we don't know. So the church is divided by countries right now, um, a lot of the time. So we have, we have an ability 
to connect the church and to go out and to bring those stories back. And um, we're hoping this is a big dream right now that we would love to chase. But me and the guys that I went on this trip with um, are hoping to like continue in this. Um, and potentially we're meeting with someone to see what the possibilities are as a bunch of 19 to 21 year olds forming a nonprofit that is a basically a, a video group that's able to to go out and to continue to connect the church, to bring the vision of what is happening in Ecuador back to the states so that we can create this interconnected web of prayer, basically. Because if we're not supporting each other as a church, then who are we? Like, what are we doing? Um, and so, and there's not, like the Lord asks us to pray specifically. So if we don't even know specifically what to pray for, then that's pretty difficult. So I ask you to pray for Ecuador, pray for the Eden Project, um, that's a really big deal. Pray for Mary um, and her family and pray for uh, potentially a revival in the connection um, of the church. Thanks, guys. I love you. <laughs> Thank you, Wesley. That was awesome. <clears throat> well, I think um, any of you who, Wesley, you want to grab, grab that hand? Any of you who have had children, especially teenagers, uh, especially daughters, um, that story can kind of hit home with you and um, to, th to think about uh, that there's nothing for them once they turn 18. They're just sent back out. You know, I, I think about how much I struggle with walking in victory and um, righteousness and, and how much that can be a challenge for myself at 50 years old to expect an 18-year-old who's, who's been victim to the things that they've been victim to uh, from a young age, who's been abandoned oftentimes by their fam own family and the horrendous things that have happened to think that they can then go out at 18 and be successful and not consider going back to what was the only way they knew to make money. So my heart goes out to um, what they are trying to do, which is to create this halfway house for them to have a longer time with these young ladies to prepare them and to um, see that full transformation to then have a better chance at um, living a different life. So I'm excited about this. Um, you know, I never, I was telling someone this recently, another dad, I never like my kids going out of the country. It's just the whole time I kind of, I'm getting better at it, but you know, it's, it's always, there's always a risk. There's always a danger, um, but it's so exciting to see uh, what God is doing, um, even through our young people um, here at LifePoint. Um, I s have seen a few snippets of footage, and it's, this is going to be good. Uh, I mean, this is, um, this is going to really, really help bring some awareness and help uh, to this Dynamis ministry to be able to accomplish some things they've not been able to accomplish because of just resources. Um, so thank you, Wesley. That was awesome. And I look forward, we all look forward to seeing um, more of what, what's coming. So he's gotten the first half uh, of this project this mission uh, done, and so he and his um, teammates are going to be now doing a lot of the hard work of, of editing that footage, and most of it's 
in Spanish. And so they're having to translate all of this as well for the American audiences uh, to be able to, to understand what's going on and on all the interviews and everything. So we will keep you posted uh, on that. Well, along those lines, um, I wanted to, as I said, mentioned earlier, I wanted to just give you guys a little bit of, uh, of an update, but more so just to kind of um, inform, especially some of the newer uh, members here and um, at people who attend who might not know, like, what, what do we do as far as missions and what kind of things are we uh, supporting and stuff. So that, uh, that's a glimpse of something that, uh, more newer that, uh, that we're supporting. Um, we've, we've supported a variety of things, but there's one particular ministry that we have really gotten behind. And I'm going to give you a little bit of just a background and history there, just so you can understand. Um, most of you who have been here a while know about uh, the ministry in India that we have um, been supporting and been connected with. So I'm going to go back just a little bit, all the way to 2012. And um, God started stirring the hearts of uh, many of us here at LifePoint to think beyond our four walls here and to be able to, um, to start thinking about uh, investing in the kingdom and pouring into the kingdom outside of LifePoint. And uh, we began to meet and talk about and pray about what God might be wanting this small church uh, body to, to do and what could we do. But we, we were being stirred uh, for, for the Great Commission, for uh, not only going, but supporting and investing in God's work outside of this church building, outside of this um, local um, Greenville, South Carolina, and think bigger and look bigger. And he really started putting that on our hearts. So we started meeting about it, praying about it. And, you know, the world's a big place. We really had no idea where to go. I got a little snapshot here of um, the small crew. Uh, that is Rex Jones right there on the uh, left, and Linda, and uh, some of us who were meeting and praying about what God uh, might want to do through this small community uh, of believers. So uh, as you can see here, the world is a big place. Where would we go? What would we do? What in the world is God going to, oops, sorry, um, going to ask us to do this little small church in uh, Greenville, South Carolina? And as we were, the more we prayed, uh, the more God started to kind of reveal bits and pieces of what he was calling us to do. And that, that those little details started to be revealed, and, and they were actually uh, a lot bigger than we would have uh, anticipated. So there were two things that God began to put on our heart in, in, a, in various ways, but basically those two things were this, clean water to drink, and you can look at, uh, we'll just look at it real quick, a scripture that is very meaningful when talking about drinking water. It's in Matthew chapter 25, starting with verse 31. It says, when the Son of Man 
comes in his glory and all the angels with him. Then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another. By the way, this is Jesus talking. He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Jesus saying, when you do these things, you do it to me. And that's a meaningful passage when we're looking at uh, this, of, of, of a mission, of going out into this big world. What can this little church do? But when you kind of hone in on what Jesus is saying here, it gives you a little bit of a better perspective. And especially, and this is where the kind of the water, the clean water, we, we just take that for granted uh, of being able to drink water. Uh, but in many other countries, that is not something you just take for granted. There's uh, water that's not clean and it brings sickness uh, oftentimes. And so that is, a, um, that is something that sometimes is just forgotten about uh, here in the States. But that was one of the things that God began kind of bringing to our attention. And the other thing uh, was India. We began to uh, think and have on our hearts India. Now, there's India on the map in red. Uh, it is a long ways away from us. There we are. How in the world are we going to do something in India? What connections would we have? And that's where God then took us to the next step, which was to bring us in contact with a ministry uh, called Water of Life. Um, many of you have heard of it, but what's Interesting is the ministry Water of Life was based right here in Greenville, South Carolina, Greer to be exact, and uh, we had the opportunity to sit and meet with the founder, Roland Bergeron, and learn about what God was calling him to do, how he got started, and, and then from there, he began to share some things that really blew us away. Um, he had started with water and digging, uh, basically digging wells. He started in Africa and then uh, began doing it by the request of a pastor, uh, of, a, of a man in India to come and start doing that. And he was, began doing that in India, putting uh, in water wells, drilling uh, deep water wells um, that would allow clean water to be given to a village. But as he began doing this, he God started to show him a whole nother uh, 
ministry and need that was there. And that's what Roland began to share with us as we were asking about his ministry, in particular his ministry to India. And what he was sharing was just um, almost more than what we could even comprehend because it had to do with child slavery. And it's just really hard for us here in America to, to understand that this actually happens and takes place in other countries. And um, in particular in India, this was uh, a, a problem. And God started bringing to uh, our partner there in India, to his attention, and he and his pastors there, the need to help rescue these children uh, out of slavery. And a lot of them were in rock quarries, um, brick um, uh, making facilities and things working. And they would, they would get there by a variety of ways. Um, sometimes the, the family would take uh, a loan, but they weren't able to pay the loan back. And they weren't able to read the details of the contract. And what ended up happening is the details of the contract is they would have to uh, basically give their children over to work uh, and help pay off that loan by working. A lot of other ways that uh, the kids would be um, subjected to the, the slavery there. So we were learning about this uh, from Roland. But it, but it started, his ministry there in, in, in India started with... Uh, the water. I got a, just a short little uh, video. And by the way, you see the little dashed line there. That's where we uh, uh, basically decided we were going to go and check this out for ourselves. And that was a big step for us. But we felt like if we're going to get behind a ministry and support it, we really want to know and believe that, uh, well, be confident that it is what it says it is. And so we decided to go there ourselves. So um, Ed, Santana, and myself um, decided to be the ones to go and, and actually check it out in person. Here's a little quick, uh, just a little video, and you can dim the lights, James, on um, just to give you just a glimpse, a visual of the water of life and the doing the wells, water wells in India. And that was really what our trip um, consisted of, as actually going to some of these villages. Now, if anyone is familiar with uh, 
water of life, or excuse me, if you're familiar with India at all, you know that there's a caste system in India. And the, the ones that basically water of life and our partners there uh, wanted to reach were what's called the untouchables. And basically they're, they're below. So a caste system is just because of the religion and culture and it's been there for centuries and centuries, um, there's certain castes. You're born into a certain caste. That's kind of a, um, uh, a societal or cultural uh, thing. And when you're, when you're born into it, there's no way to get out of it. So there's different levels. And I won't go into all of those details, but if you know anything about India and the caste system, you know that that's, um, that's a big part of their culture. Well, the untouchables or the Dalits are actually below that caste level. And they are, they are just really not... Um, they're treated as just worthless uh, beings, and really the only way to escape from that is to die and to be reincarnated and as something better. Uh, it's a terrible uh, situation. It's actually deemed illegal in in India, but it's a part of the culture, and it just uh, it's very prevalent. So this, the main thing about this was going to. Um, basically going to the villages of these untouchables and putting in water wells because the, the people from these villages couldn't have access to good, clean water. Um, they would have to go far, far away, uh, walk far away to get it, or if they went there, they would have to be uh, waiting for all of the other uh, people who are not untouchables to get their water and they wouldn't have as uh, an equal access to it and that type of thing. So bringing water wells to these villages was life-changing for them. It made a huge difference for the entire village. And when they would put the water wells in, uh, it would be even on the, uh, uh, the plaque or written into the uh, cement of the water well, gift from Jesus. And it was through this water, clean water that they could drink, that then the people would begin asking questions and wanting to know more about this Jesus. And it opened a lot of doors for um, pastors to be able to share. So that's what we went uh, to kind of check out, but also having heard about this other, about the children being uh, in, in slavery. So I think we're trying to get the slides back up again. Um, Is it not working there? Well, let me just keep talking. I've got some more pictures I just wanted to show you. Um, when we got there and began to see uh, the reality of what we had heard from Roland, but really had a hard time believing, um, it was clear to us that this is this is real. You know, what they're telling us is, uh, is real. It's true. Um, not only are, is, are the water wells life changing and making a huge impact on the, on the villages, but also the reality of these children uh, being enslaved in the rock quarries and being uh, trafficked often and needing to be rescued uh, was very real. Um, and our partners there, these uh, the pastors, began to uh, be contacted. Maybe it's it was from rock quarry owners who uh, just 
began feeling very uh, guilty and bad about what they were doing, and they would contact them and say, I, I want to release these children. Or through uh, pressure, uh, political pressure, or um, you know, media pressure, they would, they would end up releasing, or they might rescue the children in some other way. And, but once they brought the children into their care, then now they, they've got the problem of they got all these children and they're not set up to care for them. Uh, they did have one or two children's homes, but they weren't uh, nearly big enough and ready to take on the number of children that were coming out of um, these rock quarries and, and other places. So you think it's working now, Jaron? It's a work in progress. <laughs> okay. Um, so one of the things that began to be envisioned by our partners there, and this they began to show it to us why, while Ed and I were there, is the possibility of buying land and building a children's home to be able to house the number. Uh, it's hard to imagine this, but they were literally getting hundreds of children at a time. And there's, there's numbers that we've seen from you know, what they're doing there in India that have been very hard for us to wrap our minds around. But having gone there, uh, we were able to see, you know, this is, this is really happening. This is really true. Um, the number of children that were being brought out uh, of these um, rock quarries and, and other places were, were staggering. And so they were just scrambling. God was bringing the children to them, but they, they needed to know how are we going to take care of them. And while we were there, this was before they had the children, children's home that they later built, but they were placing the children in the homes of the pastors um, around the around the uh, state of where it was located. And these pastors, I mean, you're talking about a husband and wife who might have one or two children or more of their own living in a very, very, you, you have to understand, n very small, nothing, nothing like what we live in here. And all of a sudden, they have 50 children that they are being placed in their care to until they can figure something out. And we literally went to uh, a handful of places where this was the situation. A pastor uh, had to take on, take in all of these children, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 children into their home temporarily just to, you know, just to, to keep them safe until they could figure out what to do with them. Uh, but the children were in a much, much better place by being there rather than being in the rock quarry or wherever there was. There was, there was trafficking going on. There was abuse going on. Um, it was uh, just a horrendous situation. So it was incredible for us. Uh, I mean, Ed and I came back from that trip uh, just almost, uh, it was just too much. And it forever changed us. Um, but we, we came back and we, we of course, had to, to share uh, with the church that this, this was going on and this is real and we need to get behind this. And this, uh, that is basically what we did immediately. Uh, that was back in 2012. And so we have been supporting um, this work there. And we've been doing it uh, through two, 
two ministries or two ways. Uh, there was Water of Life and then there was a Set Free Alliance that uh, was established to help get this children's home uh, built. They have since merged, and there's another organization called Child Freedom Coalition uh, that I communicate with regularly as well. Both of these organizations, Set Free, Child Freedom Coalition, are fully focused on supporting the work there with the partners in India. Um, and the fact that we've been there and have seen what they do, and actually one of the partners, one of the leaders there, um, and, and some of you know some of what has happened in the past year, uh, some of the um, persecution and being put in, uh, in, in jail and stuff. So that's why I'm kind of um, talking a little bit vaguely. So uh, we have to be a little more careful now. Um, but what they are... Uh, what they are doing uh, now with the with the children's home uh, is is a miracle that they were able to to build it. I had a um, picture of it, and I can show it to you later. But this is this is an ongoing, not only a uh, need, but I mean, this is without our. It's interesting that God actually kind of raised up. Um, churches and organizations here in Greenville, South Carolina, to pour into this. Uh, we, there's been some other churches in the area, but it's just, it's really interesting how he has raised up people from Greenville, South Carolina. And one thing that I've learned in, in life is that you need many people to, to be able to accomplish much, and especially in, in the kingdom. And this is the, the kind of thing where there needs to be a lot of uh, people and churches and organizations getting behind it to help it to to help rescue these children and the many other things that they're doing. They're, they're still doing the water wells, uh, the pastors, and so we've been supporting this ministry. And so I want you guys to be aware of it because this is where, uh, as you guys are supporting the church and, and helping uh, with our resources here, we are we as a church are pouring into this ministry as well and have been so for about ten years now. Um, and the impact it has made is incredible. They now have a children's home, and the um, still no luck on the video, guys. On the nothing, okay. Um, they now have a, a a huge children's home that can house twelve hundred kids, and it's packed with twelve hundred kids. I believe that's what their capacity is. But they are bringing kids out of the uh, rescuing the kids bringing them to the home where they're cared for, they have uh, meals every day, they're getting education, things that they're having access to that as untouchables they would never have access to if they were still out um, in other places. So they have a, a chance at life that they, they would not have had otherwise. But not only that is when they, once they graduate, in other words, you know, it's like graduating from, let's say, high school when they're old enough to then begin learning a trade. They start doing vocational training with them. Uh, the girls learning uh, tailoring, especially, and the guys might be carpentry, uh, plumbing, uh, mechanics with uh, repairing motorcycles, mopeds, things like that. But they're learning a trade that they can then start using. And here's what's incredible about this. The uh, alumni, if you want to call them, the kids who come out of the who graduate from the home and are then going into a trade and they're now working in the world are actually 
and this was not not initiated by the ministry leaders. This was initiated by these these kids who were now old enough and making some money. They began sending money back to the children's home to help support the children there on their own initiative. And this has caught traction with all of those coming out of the children's home. And so, listen to this. They have they have supported already over a million dollars worth of money has been sent back by the kids who have come out of the home and are now working. And so they are have a figure of around $30,000 a month coming in from those kids who are now working a trade and want to help support and help the children who are in the home because they've come out of it. They know what these kids are coming out of and what the situation is and they want to help. So the goal of it is to be self-sustaining where they've got enough of the kids coming out of the home who are then working and then pouring back into the home um, that it can be self-sustained in that way. So it's an incredible, incredible thing to see. Um, but they are in great need of support and, and prayers and help from uh, as many organizations and churches like, like ours um, to to basically continue and sustain what's going on there. No go, Jaron? All right, just want to double check. I've got a lot more details that I can share if any of you are interested in learning more about what this looks like. Um, there's videos, there's pictures, things that I can send you. So if you are wanting to know more, do let me know, and I can send that to you. Uh, but I wanted you as a church, we wanted, the elders wanted you to know as a church, uh, and you can look at our financial statement back there of what we're sending um, and, and pouring into missions, and especially this mission, this ministry over there in India. It's been an incredible thing to see, starting back in 2012, God stirring our hearts and then leading us specifically to this work that he was wanting to do and, uh, and has been doing in India and to be a part of that uh, much bigger mission uh, along with um, other churches and individuals and organizations. So uh, thank you. I, I want to thank all of you who help sustain this church and pour, into, pour your resources into this church that allows us to also send um, help and support to them uh, in India. Well, I did have one more uh, scripture I was going to read, but I, I will um, just mention it to you. And it's out of Luke chapter 10, and it's the, the passage where the guy asks, you know, the the... the expert in the law asked Jesus what is the uh, greatest commandment and Jesus says well how do you how do you read how do you see uh, what's the greatest commandment and he says well it's to love the lord your god with all your heart mind soul and strength and love your neighbor as yourself and Jesus said you have answered well you are correct and then the guy says well who is my neighbor and that's when Jesus goes into the story the parable of the good samaritan and what's interesting about that um that story is, it's demonstrating what that means to love God and then love others. And it's showing uh, a Samaritan who was kind of a 
somewhat of an outcast to the Jewish people, to the Hebrew people, and a Samaritan helping a man who had been robbed when so many others had ignored him. Ignored him. He went to his aid, uh, picked him up, put him on his own uh, donkey, horse, whatever he had, took him to an inn, cared for him. And not only that, but when he had to leave, he gave money to the innkeeper and said, please continue to care for him as long as he needs. And if, there, if this is not enough, I will, I will give you more when I come back. And what I like about that is it's, it's not that God doesn't expect all of us to become missionaries and go and be the ones to do whatever the ministry is, whether it's in Ecuador, India. But there's a lot more to it than just being there and present. That is a part of it. But just like the innkeeper kind of took it from there to, to ca- help care for this man, it was, there was a financial piece to it that this Samaritan knew was, um, was a reality, and he made sure that that financial piece was provided. And I think it's a great reminder for us when we're thinking about uh, mission work or thinking outside of our four walls, there's a piece to this that doesn't mean you're going to be the one traveling over there. Sometimes we're not the one that needs to be doing that. But there are people who are the right ones to be doing that, um, that role. What our role would be is to help provide. God has blessed us with so much in this country, so, so much. And so he's calling us to too much. He's asking much of us because of that, and that's in Scripture. And so uh, many times it's going to be us supporting um, what someone is doing financially and through um, uh, not only finances but prayer and other resources as well. So that's a good reminder, I think, for us to, um, to remember that there's stuff like this going on with what Wesley and his team are doing, what they're doing in India, that we've checked it out, we've seen it for ourselves, it's legit, and now we can feel confident in now doing our part of, of helping provide the resources needed to carry on that work. Well, let me close in prayer, and we'll, we'll end the service with a, a couple more songs. And Father, I, I thank you that you have given us the opportunity to to hear from uh, Wesley and an update uh, on his trip. I thank you for um, what you have shown him and and his uh, teammates there and what you've allowed them to accomplish in getting the footage that they need to then create this documentary to help um, the need that's there, the great need. And Father, thank you that you've enabled this small fellowship here to make a huge impact in what's going on uh, with our partners in India. And you've allowed us and have blessed us with so much to be able to send so much. God, we thank you. That is an honor and a privilege. And we thank you that you've been able to use it to not only bring clean water to drink to those who would not have access to clean water and therefore show them the love of Christ, but also, God, to rescue those who have been imprisoned and to set the captives free and to rescue these children who have been victims and to give them love and care and give them an opportunity in life that they would not have otherwise. 
God, that is a privilege for us to be able to be a part of that. And we thank you that you've allowed us to do so. So God, continue to, to show us and lead us. Continue to um, put on our hearts what more you want us to do. As a small body of believers, we may be small, but our hearts can be big. So pour into us, show us, and press on our hearts what more you want us to do to help those in need. We love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you stand with us and we'll worship together. You've been listening to a broadcast from LifePoint Church in Greenville, South Carolina. If this ministry has touched your life in some way, we would love to hear from you. Just visit our website at www.lifepointsc.org for more information. Or, if you prefer to reach us by letter, you can write to us at P.O. Box 27036, Greenville, South Carolina, 29616, USA. Until next time, may God bless you as you continue to follow Him. of my heart I want to see